Welcome to the Athlete Diaries. I'm your host, Guy Walker. On this podcast, I take you through the journeys and challenges of professional athletes, from resilience to mental health and life away from sport. Today, we venture out of Australia and into England to interview an ultra-athlete named Lee Grantham. Lee has a record for the 50-kilometer race up the toughest hill I've ever seen in my life. If you want to check it out, type in Grenada 50-kilometer race into Google and have a look at the images. You'll be blown away. Lee is a very, very funny individual. If you like someone who shares funny videos and stories on Instagram, then check him out. It's a bit of a venture into his life. This wasn't always Lee's life and it wasn't always his reality. He worked hard in recruitment for 12 years before he had to quote, live like a monk so he could run full time. He has now been known as a formidable ultra athlete who has represented his country and looking to break many more records. Uh, mate, thank you. Lee, thank you for coming on, mate. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, thanks, for, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, mate. Appreciate that. What are you drinking there? It's, it's, um, so I'm, I love bananas, yeah? So this is five banana, yep. five banana shake, and I made it with mango juice and a bit of water. So I started to get creative. That's about as far yep. as my cooking skills go. Uh, that's as good as it gets. So yeah, but in this in this period, yeah, I started to develop my uh, my uh, culinary knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so you're in, you're in Thailand at the moment. How's that all going? And um, you've just shown me a little bit of, of your pad. Then it looks pretty nice, and you look like you're you're well into the jungle. It's a little bit different to where we are in Australia at the moment. How are you finding everything in isolation? Yeah, I mean. Like from a personal perspective, nothing has really changed. I mean, endurance sport in itself, I mean, even more so than cycling and triathlon is is an individual sport. So, yeah, I mean, probably everybody's saying this right now, but I feel super fortunate in order to not only sort of have enough to sort of be able to stay in a, a place and have a roof over your head and water, the basic necessities, but also training's not really changed. Um, so, you know, from that point you st- I still have access to my drug yeah I still have access to go out and run every day and cycle every day that's not changed so um um the obviously the only thing that has changed is there's no competitions on the horizon or there were no competitions for a long time yeah so then you're having discussions with different athletes who are dealing with it in different ways and some people are motivated by the competition and without a competition without a race in mind it's very difficult for them to get out of the door in the morning whereas I knew this about myself anyway, um, but I'm motivated by both and probably the training even more so. So if you said to me that I never had a, um, I never had a, a race ever again, I'd still, I still train just as hard. I, I still love it. I still love pushing myself and, and doing the, the hard sessions as well as just going out for a run and sort of like, you know, in a meditative state. As for the situation with the country, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> probably have to have that chat when I leave otherwise get decapitated or something like that by the government but the numbers the numbers probably are incorrect <laughs> I'll, go on a limb, yeah. I'll go on a limb and say that but um, they are dealing with it really well and you know it's part of Asia so um, they're used to the mass culture so it's not an issue for them like back in the UK you know we struggled with getting people to wear masks which it's just something we're not used to but you know as Somebody who, when you when you do sort of three months travel, uh, three months hard training in order to race, and then you get on a plane. Sometimes I will wear a mask, you know, because you don't want to. Get, the easiest place to get sick is on a plane when you know the, the air conditioning yeah. is circulating, the oxygen, and and um, and so yeah. I mean, that's not been an issue for me, but like I think as I just mentioned to you, like where I am right now in the middle of the jungle, this little village where, where I am. They don't even know what COVID is, you know. So it's it's pretty funny in that regard. But if I, the only people in the world not to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like it's like good and bad because they don't know what potentially could hit them. But I'm sure there's yeah, yeah I'm sure there's stuff going on that I'll never I'll never know or understand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, going back to the UK. So you were born in you're born in Manchester, um, and now you're living in Spain and Thailand as well. What made you end up going to move over there and um it's, it's a pretty, it looks, it, a lot of people will be envious of that lifestyle, won't they, of, of getting away from the English bleak summers and winters and, and getting over to a bit of a warmer climate to go and train and, and run for their job for, for the day. 
Yeah, well, I suppose long story short, I always say that a long story short and then give you a long version. But the um, <laughs> the the answer to that is like I, I was I did track and field and, and cross country as a kid. Uh, you sort of yep. you sort of like play football. I played football all winter and cricket all summer in Manchester. And uh, and then you joined high school or a little bit before I, I realized that I had some talent in running. So I did track and field and cross country. And then I left the sport and played football and, and rugby when I was 16, um, just because I had more of a crack with lads when I was sort of like, you know, that yeah. sort of age. And, you know, you find alcohol and, and girls and stuff like that. And you sort of like, you, you, you go off the rails or on the rails, whatever, however you want to sort of decide it. But, um, but then um, I revisited after sort of going to college and, um, finishing my education and then and then I got a job in recruitment so I was a headhunter for uh for 12 years in the oil and gas industry and yeah, well. and then so you go from sort of an office job which you know I don't have any uh I think it was a great job it's brilliant it's a little bit like sport where you know the, the harder you work the faster you work and and also the more you think about what you do the, the more you get rewarded monetarily and, and and in terms of other things as well like so it was a really good career and it just, it, you know, it attracted sports people as well for that, for that fact. But then I got back into the sport after I set up my own company and then went cycle touring and then got back into the sport. So I, I, when I was cycle touring in Asia, I thought I really miss running. This is what I really missed the endurance. So then I did a race. Um, it was okay. And then somebody bet me that I couldn't run up this mountain in, in Granada, which is where I live now. And um, it's like 50K uphill. And I was like, I didn't even know those things existed. Um, I, I, I thought I went up to the marathon and that was it, you know? And I was like, you know, what's this? And um, and then, so I did this race and I completed it. And I was like, wow, this is, this is something. I looked around and I just thought everyone was like, this is where I wanted to be. It's like running is uh, the club system in the UK. It's like, the people you meet are like salt of the earth people that will do anything for you. And they're just interested in your running. And, and that's, it's something that we should be a lot more proud of than we are. And it's something that we should nourish. But as soon as I went to that race, this is 2010. I was like, I've got to live here. This is, this is the most incredible city. And it's like the foot of the Sierra Nevada mountains, which is 23 peaks above uh, 3000 meters. And, for cyclists and runners, it's just heaven. So, so I put t- together a plan to become a full-time runner, and um, and then did that within three years, and uh, and moved to that city. And uh, I, honestly, it's brilliant. As for the Chiang Mai stuff in the north of Thailand, when it gets cold in uh, when it gets cold in Granada, because it's a, it's a ski resort, like up up at uh, yep. two thousand four hundred meters, then I'm just ready to move south. Because I I really like the warm weather and uh, when you, it, it's not, it's not so bad running but when you're out on the bike for four hours and it's freezing cold and it's raining then you know it starts to become a little bit you, you know it's it's not as good as it was and uh, so just a, just a flight and all of a sudden you're in the same conditions as you was all summer so it's good, it's really easy it's been a really nice pattern for the last six years. Yeah, well, I think you're literally the most tanned English person I reckon I've ever met in my entire life, and that makes sense now. Yeah. Um. So how did you how did you get in? So you you spoke about that that cycling, getting back into that that training. Um. And then how did you, how did you reestablish that love for for track and field and running again? And then you said that you knew that there was marathons, and you went to that peak of that um of that run in, in Spain. And what's that called in Granada? I was having a look at it before. Yeah, it's called a um, Subido Pico Valletta. So it's like the rise, the, 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 the rise of uh, Mount Valletta. And Valletta is the fourth yeah. highest mountain in Spain and the second highest mountain on uh, mainland Spain, but also uh, the highest road in Europe. So you can literally drive up to 3,400 meters. So within the race, you like, you start in and it's, uh, it's probably 25 degrees at seven o'clock in the morning quickly within an hour it's 40 degrees celsius um and then you've got the altitude after like 15 1600 meters and then when once you get up to like heavy altitude sort of above 2500 meters you can often be running like through a tunnel of snow which is it's in august so it's just like it's insane um and some of the pictures they've got from that race is just 
so dramatic. And so then you've got the cold and the wind and the altitude. So you've got the heat, the cold, the wind, and and the altitude in the race. So if, if, and it's all uphill. So it's it's um it's it, 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 all races say this. You know, this is the hardest race in the world. Any yeah. any race is the hardest race in the world if you if you if you don't do it properly or you you know put everything into it. But um, but this is I mean this is up there definitely. Yeah, like mate, I, I think I was having I was having to look at it before and sort of read a little bit about it and how have you done you've done it quite a few times and mm. I actually had a look at um, a video of someone running up it. I don't think I've ever seen I've seen a lot of people running altitude and stuff, but it is like for people that have not seen it yet, go and have a look. It is literally all uphill. It's hot. Um, it just looks grueling. Like, and I read somewhere as well. Did you set the record there for the 50 K as well then? Yeah. So, so the thing was like, I did, I was in Thailand and it was literally, I just, I just done this tour inside uh, Thailand from Bangkok to Singapore. So it's like 2,250 kilometers I was going to take my time with it and it was over sort of Christmas and and then my mate in Singapore said we're having a New Year's Eve party so it was like right okay I'll do a lot on the bike every day and get to this I heard about this story it's hilarious yeah so uh so I was doing like 220 220 kilometers average a day some days like 12 14 hours on the bike um and then <laughs> I, whilst I was on that I was like right you've got to get back into running this is like what you really miss and so I got back home to Thailand and and uh, started, I went out for a run, it was, that was awful. And then did a race like four or five months later in Manchester, 10K. Like, I couldn't like pace it. So I was stopping and like getting my breath back and drinking water in a 10K, which is, you don't really do that usually. And and then um, finished the race and I was like, you're rubbish. You need to get better at this. So then started to follow more and more structure, got faster. Um, and then did this race that I just mentioned and I finished it. I was like, wow, because the cutoff time is eight hours. So it's so really yep. means that you can't walk the whole thing. You can't walk five kilometers an hour. So so how how many minute kilometer per hours do you need to do in that 50K to finish it within eight hours? That's a good question, yeah. So, so 50K. Because you work in miles, don't you, actually? Yeah, I, I, I work in kilometers. So, kilometers? So okay, yeah. 50 divided by eight would be sort of like, is it uh, is it six? Six would be 48, wouldn't it? Six, eight, 48, yeah. so six and something. So you can't walk at all, yeah? So you can't, on yep. the flat, you're walking like five kilometers an hour if you're sort of power walking, yep. maybe six. You can't do that, especially it gets, the steeper, the higher you get, the steeper it gets. Um, so you hit like 15, 20% switchbacks. So you basically have to get to 35K fresh, which in itself is hard, but... Anyway, I finished that and um, and I was like, I remember sat with my mates. Uh, it was like a couple of Spanish guys, uh, a Spanish girl and, uh, and a British girl. I said, one day I'm going to win this. Knowing that I'd done track and field to a good level and cross country to a good level as a kid. And they were like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> These guys are machines. Like I came something, I can't remember what I came, but uh, I was rubbish. And um, I was like, no, no, I'm going to win this race. They're like, oh, okay, whatever. And um, and then it took it took me seven years, but I had this bee in my bonnet where I was like, right, first of all, I need to move there because to train on the course is going to be the biggest weapon. Then you need to acclimatize. So I wasn't acclimatized. I was living in Sweden at the time. Then I was acclimatized, so the heat wasn't a problem. Then I was acclimatized to the altitude, which was another big thing. And then so as the years passed, you sort of learn what you do wrong in a race is sometimes you go for it and fail because it's, it's a bit like a marathon. If you set off at a pace and you yeah. you get to sort of 30K, 32K and you can't withhold, you know, you're going to sort of have all sorts of problems, maybe stomach, muscles, etc. That that That's like tenfold during this race. You can't get it wrong. So, um, so yeah, 2016, I should have won it really. And then I um, – my game plan was out, and then 2017, I, I won it and set the course record. Yeah, so it was like a nice story arc, um, but I just had you know when you have something that you really want to achieve, it's just um, yeah. I just knew as well. You know, I lived in that city. If I got good at that race, I'd get good in all my running. So along with that came I, you know, got on the England team and I got on the Great Britain team, and then I was like running ultras and marathons for Great Britain and, and England. So. It sort of yeah, well. it worked, um, and actually this year they, they they just postponed it by one month, so they're actually going to have it on September the sixth. 
I'm going to do it again then and oh, good. go for that record again. So, yeah, it's it's great for Spain because they've had this COVID situation really bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I felt, you know, I, I saw people suffering. They were on lockdown for seven weeks. Um, so, yeah, it's good, it's good that they're actually having participation events probably before most countries, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Going back to going back to how you made that the England team and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So, how long how long was that gap? So you started running. Was it back in sort of as an actual you wanted to actually start getting right into it? Was what two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten? Yes, yeah, so two thousand nine. I took a complete gap year. I think started in two thousand eight. Yeah. When I was supposed to go to Thailand for like uh, six weeks, and I was like, ah, actually, let's stay longer, and then let's stay longer, and then I was there for three yeah. months or something, and. Um, you know, I bought a bike pretty early on, so I was just cycled to it. And then 2000, literally January the 3rd or something like that, 2010, started running. And then I remember emailing somebody like, what's a good time for 5K? What's a good time for 10K? Like, what's considered? Yeah. And then I was like hammering these treadmill sessions because it was so hot and humid in Thailand. And, um, and then doing the easy runs outside. So following like a plan off the shelf, off the internet. And then I said to my, I said to my girlfriend, uh, when I went out for the first run, I said, um, I'm just going out for an hour run, yeah? And, uh, and I had to fucking come back after like five minutes. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, ah, yeah, not today. <laughs> you know, like, not today. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, to play up. An hour. <laughs> and um, I said, yeah, I was supposed to be going for an hour, yeah, but I'm rubbish. I need to get better at this. And she was laughing and I said, hey, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I found what I really want to do. This is what I knew what I wanted. I, I, I knew I'd sort of, something had clicked into place. And then I said, I'm going to do it full time. She's laughing at it. So it sort of fueled some fire, but it was, you know, in, in good jest. And, um, yeah. and then um, I think 2013, I, I, I say I turned professional, but... Like it's sort of vague term in, in running because there's not so many professional runners. Australia has the same yeah. problem, yeah. So to carve yeah, out a much. career and actually run like and put people for, to, for them to pay you to do it, you have to hustle. I mean, um, yeah. you have to sort of, if you get one of the big companies to back you, that's great. But I basically was still recruiting, saved up for a year and a half, a year and three months maybe. Yeah. And then back to myself. So I lived like a monk for uh, two, three years. And then just, you know, I rented, under, I, I, I downsized my apartment um, and rented a room off an old lady uh, near, to, near to my job. And, and just like, I was eating porridge and rice all the time. And then eventually, um, first company came to me and said, okay, well, but, and I was sending, I was sending hundreds, if not thousands of emails to companies. Oh, I'll do this for you. If you do. But then luckily, I will probably get onto this. Like um, then, the birth of people were tweeting at the time. I didn't really sort of, I didn't really get the gist of tweeting. I still don't really to a point. But um, <laughs> but then Instagram came out, and uh, I got fortunate with Instagram. So probably without Instagram, I wouldn't be able to do this full time. Yeah, that's a that's a great point because. We, I don't know about you guys in the running community, but in cricket here, especially in Australia in general, I think um, there's almost this thing of that if you're an athlete, you can't really put yourself out there because then your teammates take the mick out of you. But we have so many different chats from um, people that come in and sort of say that you have a personal brand. You need to leverage that personal brand to make sure that you put yourself out there to, to get these sponsorship deals. And the people that do it well here... Um, make millions out of it and they do really well and um, it's great for them but a lot of people don't do it well how do, how have you been able to almost it's almost you're showing a bit of personality like I, I look at some runners Instagram accounts and see like a lot of people in Australia it's quite bland but then you look at yours and yeah. even some of your stories yeah. it's just the, almost that Mancuian banter and and laugh comes out and you just have character, which is really good. How, how do you, how did you go about building your personal brand? I really appreciate that, by the way. That's that's great. I, I think the thing is like Brits and Aussies in America. Well, not so much Americans because they don't humor as much. <laughs> but you know, but now Brits, America, if English speaking countries, Brits, Americans, or Aussies especially, they get like. If I make fun of you, it's because I like you, yeah? So you give it me back. Yeah. And 
you don't make fun of somebody you don't like because that's like you literally stand fight. Yeah. So, but Europeans don't get that, right? So, uh, <laughs> so when you're looking at the European market, like I posted something recently, like oh, I used this COVID period to stop smoking. Uh, you know, I was at forty a day, and now I'm at thirty a day, and I feel good about myself. And it was obviously a joke because you can't compete for your country at running and smoke. Um, but then lots of people were like, oh, it's so good. And, you know, I, I never believed you smoked. And like, oh, it's made me want to stop smoking. I'm like, these people actually, you know, and and this happened. <laughs> so you just have to sort of go with it and like have more fun with it. But um, to answer your question, like, I, it's tricky because even more so than cricket, runners are really introverted. So when I, what my first sponsor was a sports nutrition company and they were in powerlifting and bodybuilding and they produced a lot of protein products and they helped people to get big. And you could look at, you could look at a tweet, a picture tweet of um, a bodybuilder and say, right, I want to look like that guy or girl. So I'm going to follow them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very easy. Whereas with running and probably cricket to some extent as well, you'd need to give a little bit more information than that. So it need to be like, right, this is what I'm doing in training. This is how I recover. This is what I eat. So you need to sort of add more value. But the way yeah. it sort of, I got lucky when it tw- switched from Twitter being the main platform to Instagram, I got um, one of one of the, the sports nutrition said, what do you think about our endurance offering? And, uh, and I said, it's, it is awful. It literally is awful. So everything needs to change with it from, athletes to events to the clothing to the product everything so i can help you with it so i offered like to be a consultant and um and it became really good really quickly because it was really easy to make these changes and then you become really interested in it because it's what you do anyway you know you're putting these products into your body so they need to be like informed sport i don't you have the same thing there like water tested like that that's really important and then for credibility you've got to get the right athletes involved but then I, I recruited a couple of athletes and, and they were like, oh, don't really want to post that. And I'm like, dude, you've been to the Olympics twice. Yeah. You've got amazing pictures, right? Just if you sort of post one of them like once every couple of weeks, along with what you're actually training, how you're training. But it, there's another thing in athletics where people are scared to post what they actually do because they think people are going to copy it and then become as good as them. That's, yeah. I mean, if you think that, I mean... It's, like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. You know, Eloid Kipchoge, if he posted, he's just done 12 times a kilometer in like 240 pace. I can't do that. I, you know, it's going to kill me. Yeah. So, um, so you, you, that is also another sort of um, mistake. I think uh, people are sort of getting wise to it now and understand things like personal brand, where if you spoke to somebody mm-hmm. six years ago about that, they'd be like, well, you know, I just run, you know? So I so I, I said to these guys, like, I'll I'll set up an Instagram account and I'll show you and you follow my lead. Yeah. So if I post something, you post something similar. And and then yeah. and then I was like, you know what? If I'm gonna do this, it's gonna have to follow my personality. So I'm I'm gonna you can't speak to everybody, yeah. Because as I just said, like your Europeans don't get humor. I'm generalizing there, like most most of them do, but then some of them are just like, why wouldn't you just say sorry? And <laughs> like, um, but Aussies would get like the banter, and um, and so I, so I thought, right, instead of trying to speak to everybody, I'm just going to speak to my five mates who will get my humour, um, and make it fun. Like, so if I, I, you know, and, and sometimes you'll be out in a run and think, oh, that's really funny, and then you'll post it, and then later on the day you look at it and you'll be like, that's not funny at all. Like, what were you thinking? Like, so you you can't like check yourself all the time. It's like you'd never put anything out if you're a perfection. But yeah, I suppose you just have fun with it and make it real. Like, make it you. Um, and that's the only thing you can do. And if brands like come to you then and say, yeah, we really like what you're doing, you don't have to continue to live a life because you're just being yourself. Um, and I think, especially through this period. We're going to see the death of the influencer to a certain extent because right. that's total bollocks. And um, and if you if you're a company paying somebody to say this is good, then you're not mm. making the right product. Whereas if you've got your athletes saying this is good, that's so much more yeah. credible. And so, hope- so powerful, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think hopefully mm. we see you know the end of this because it's 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 nonsense when you look at somebody's page and it's, it's maybe a hot guy or a hot girl and 
and they're just like, everything's great. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is like, it's like, come on. We having that? Are you having yeah. that? Like, no, absolutely not. Like, yeah. it's rubbish. Yeah, you skip straight past it, don't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. What with running it, like I envy your journey so much because here in Australia and even in England is that when you get say a cricket contract or a football contract, you know what money you're on straight away, and you you almost looked after. There's so many resources that we have at clubs to go. All right, you can go and live here. This is your training schedule. This is how much you're going to get paid, mm-hmm. and everything's given to you there to go out and just perform and improve and play your sport. Yeah. Like for you to be a recruiter, to save up, to go and live in another country, to have to literally eat rations to try and support yourself. Like that is amazing in itself, how you've got to where you've got from from there. How is it with other other runners that aren't getting these sponsorship deals um, with Instagram or different companies and stuff, how are they supporting themselves? Is there um, a body in England or in Australia, I'm not sure, that athletes can get money or runners can get money to do to do what they love or do they have to go out and win events and try to live by their means because they're not earning much? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I mean, first of all, I think... Um, because of what I've done and because I've sat there in an office and, you know, I've had to wear a suit for so many years and go to the office and literally go out there and hunt and win business and sort of like lead a team, manage teams, etc. You have an appreciation for what you do a lot more. So if a sponsor yeah. comes to you and says, right, we want you to do this for that, you know that if you give them more than what they've asked for, they're going to think this guy's solid and he's actually reliable yeah. and they'll keep you on because you know how the business world works. Whereas if you've like gone to school, been talented at whatever sport, you've gone to college and you've gone through the collegiate system or got a scholarship in the US, you've never known anything else. Then there's not that support system within, um, within athletics to say that this is how the business world works and this is how you as an athlete can make money in that. So you sp- I speak to many athletes. So there's probably there is a funding system from the lottery and another private investor in in the UK, but basically yeah. it goes to the next Olympic cycle. So we're we're pretty yeah. backdated. Uh, we're pretty sort of dated and also traditional in the way that we look at things because the the sort of the top people in British athletics are very motivated by short-term thinking um so that needs to change and you know there's a lot of people who think think that and it needs to sort of go back into getting more kids into sport and and making more more people motivated at the age when kids drop off yeah so Mm. you know on the 17s on the 20s when you potentially you know other things come into it like you know you get off your eye your eye leaves the ball and and also you have the option of a career you know if you can go and work in uh, programming or finance and banking and have like a career set out for you where you never have to worry about paying your mortgage why wouldn't you do that in, in, instead of the chance of potentially being good in athletics for me it's a simple decision because, um, but but you know I've spoken to guys who've been to two Olympics and uh, they have like a, such a low salary from their shoe company and then they have to count on win bonuses and appearance fees at races that really they shouldn't be doing. They don't help their yep. medium and long-term goals, but they may win them a few thousand dollars in in, in, the, in the short term. Um, and that leads to injury and anxiety and stress and stuff like that. So it's, it, it's a real shame because those are the people that we should be looking up to and, and helping get more kids into sport, whatever the sport is, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's... That's one thing that we speak about now in Australia a lot is, is that athlete transition and, and people like myself that um, that might get injured or you might just not be good enough and you get delisted is that um, there's so many things in place now here that they make sure that you do study or you do some work experience and it is so important. Like how how important do you think for you it was to, to almost get into the business world at the start and leading on to, from that question is for runners that are trying to give it their all, like if it doesn't work out where there's going to be a lot of them, it doesn't work out. Mm. What is there anything in place for them or that they can study or do some work experience away from their sport or do they literally have to give it all they have? And then if they're, mm. if they don't make it, that's it, they're gone and they've got to try and start their life again. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Um, so 
for for most people, I, sh- I think uh, we probably have to make decisions really early on in life that we feel are going to affect the rest of our path. Yeah. So at 16 and 18, you feel like you have to make these huge decisions. I don't know whether it's the same education system in. Um, in, in it's pretty similar. Uh, yeah. So you you know you yeah. college subjects that you have to choose. You think this is going to affect the rest of my life, yeah? And uh, and then yeah. you, you whatever you study at university, you, ha- you you think that what this is going to be so important, but in actual fact, the the, the transferable skills are always going to be there for you. So so that should take the pressure off me me getting into recruitment so early. Um, almost by chance uh, gives you like, basically you're running your own business within a business. And when you learn those, develop those skills, and it doesn't matter what sort of job you're in, you essentially you're selling yourself. Yeah. So if you, even if you're like, I used to play, place a lot of geologists around the world and geologists are scientists. Yeah. So they're like, um, they're very sort of motivated by models and numbers and rocks and things like that. So, Again, they're sort of they're a different personality, and they often struggle to sell themselves. So in that yeah. industry, it's not often the best geologist that gets the job, but the geologist who can sell himself best in an interview, which is it happens all over the place, yeah. And um, and so you, you you have to you have to be able to sort of um, you have to be able to t- tell somebody what you're good at and you know what your strengths and weaknesses are. So that in itself gave me confidence. In terms of taking, because people always say, oh, wow, you took a leap of faith. And for me, it was more frightening to stay, you know, and not go into sport yeah. because then I would have been, you've had a, you know, successful career in sports. So I, feel, I think for me, that's as high as it possibly gets in society. Yeah. This is like, yeah. if you, if, if, when I was a kid at primary school, like if, when teachers would ask what I wanted to be, I wanted to be a runner or a footballer. And, um, and so, but when you learn the business skills and you learn that, yeah, at any point I can just turn back and become a recruiter again, it's really, it's really easy once you have the skills. You don't forget, then it's, it gives you total freedom. So it's a bit like looking for work. Like some people are really good at looking for work. And this, this period will test yeah. a lot of people, you know, as we're in a, like pretty much in a global recession. If you're good at looking for work and you back yourself, then you have mm. a sense of confidence. Whereas if you're not, if you if you're scared of rejection and things like that, if you can't sell yourself, then that always comes with a level of anxiety. Um, nobody yeah. needs that, you know. If you're good, you're good. That's sort of should be that simple. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that, that's that's a great point, and I think a lot of athletes can take um, so much from that. And now a message from our amazing partner, Mendel. Athlete Diaries is proudly supported by Mendel, a Melbourne-based non-for-profit apparel label aimed at igniting conversations and raising awareness around men's mental health. All proceeds from sales go directly to a charity of the month. With the discount code AD20, just for our listeners, you can join the Mendel movement today with 20% off at www.mendel.com.au. Going back, going back to your running hair. When you when you started running, how that journey of just going, yep, I want to get back into running. Yeah. How did you go from yep, two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, get back into running? Couldn't even couldn't even run an hour. I had to come back after five minutes, which is me at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you end up getting to being professional? That that whole journey. How long did it take? And then to go from five minute running to hundred k marathons. Yeah, yeah. How did that all happen? Yeah. Um... How did that happen? Like, um, yeah, I just, there's some, something that I mean, like, um, there's probably three points in my life, and this is probably the fourth, yeah, where mm. you have a lot of time on your own. So you think a lot of like, and one of the questions that comes up is like, what do I really want? Am I really living the life that I really want? One of those things was moving away from Manchester when I was 23. So I've been outside, I'm 37, I've been outside the UK for 14 years. Um, yeah then I realized that Manchester is a very showy place. You know, you, you said you have some ties to Nottingham. Like the, the yep. cities around uh, the UK, outside probably London where people are a bit more cool, like um, they're very showy places. Success is all about what you have, like what you're wearing, your watch, your shoes, your car, where you live, where you dine, where you drink, etc. 
So I was sort of caught up in that because you're sort of a productive environment. So those things were really important to me. Whereas when I moved to Norway for the first time and set up my, my, my company, um, I realized that it, it's actually the reverse in Norway. So if you have to be showy, it means you're compensating for something. You're compensating often for lack of money. You don't have so much money. So the wealthiest people like don't show it at all. And so that was a switch for me. But then also you're, I was more in touch with nature. So I was doing a lot more sort of outdoors and hiking and things like that. So that was a yeah, big point in my life where I thought, actually, what do I really want? Why am I working to earn all this money when I, in actual fact, you know, I'm not going to do anything with it. And and then um, and then I cycled touring in Asia was another point where it's like, what do you really want? You, I really wanted to get back into yeah. running. That's what I really missed. And when you're thinking for literally months and months and, I, you know, completely on your own, about what you want, you figure out, you could call it meditation or some people call it spirituality and, you know, getting, maybe they need to go on a camp in Thailand for two weeks to figure out this out, but they actually just need some quiet time. Yeah. To think, you know, yeah. what is it? And maybe sort of brainstorm on your own. And then also I went in 2013. So this answers your question. Usually this is what happened. You asked me a question. Then I will go off topic, <laughs> not answer your question. Then you'll be like, yeah, what's the answer, mate? Um, <laughs> So, so I, I decided to start running and I knew I was rubbish. So I needed to get better at it. And I knew initially, like when you, be, when you start something, like you start running now, the, the progress curve at the beginning will be really, really uh, steep. And then it'll start yep. flattening, off, flattening off as you get better and better. But that can be, um, you know, there's the, the 10,000 hours rule, which you can't actually hit yep. in running but you can get, it's the same philosophy. Yeah? You need to put time into what you do and it needs to be gradual. Um, yep. But then in 2013, I finished working on a business, um, which was like working in Malaysia and Indonesia. And I went hiking in, in Himalaya. And again, I was like, I was in Him Himalaya for like 90, 98 days or something like that, just literally hiking. And again, the same questions came about, like literally again, living like a monk, because there's nowhere to spend your money in the Himalaya, like a tea house to stay for the night. You have your everything you sleep in, in, in your backpack. It's like a dollar a night to stay in Himalaya. And, um, and then the question came up again, like, what do you want? And, and the question, the, the answer was, you're doing what you want, but you're not giving it as much as it needs in order for you to be successful. So yeah. then it was like, okay, well, what does it need? It, need? it needs me to not be doing this part-time because I was still like, sometimes I'd like get up late and have to go to work first. And then if you run after work, the run isn't as quality as the training session that would yeah. be in the morning. So then basically 2012, 2013, my work was getting in the way of my running for the first time. So then, so then I was like, I, you need to give this the attention it deserves. You need to do it full time. So then it was like, right, okay, if you save up, um, and li like live extremely frugally for for a period of time, then you can save up enough, and then you can move to where you really want to move to, which is Canada, and give it a full time. Yeah. So th then I, I then then I would have to save but my first sponsor that allowed me to continue doing this full time. That was super lucky. Like uh, I was just it was just a, somebody who um, who gave me a chance, and then it was it was like right, okay, that takes the pressure off. And that's paying my rent and stuff like that, which is super, it's really easy to live yeah, as well in Granada. So, yeah, yep. I would say that. Yeah, we are. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing journey. Um, and then how did, then you end up getting picked to, to be in the, in the GB um, ultra marathon um, team as well. And then yeah. what, then how did you, is that, is that, was that your first journey from starting to run them 50K? hill run straight up Granada and then was that the next step to be a 100k ultra marathon runner did you always want to get into them big ultra marathons yeah so um so I suppose like you you know as a, a sports person like well, a lot of the thing when you're able to do this full time is actually downtime and recovery like you can't play cricket yeah. for eight hours a day and the same mistakes I made when I started to do it full I thought right okay I, I no longer work so I can run more and obviously that leads yeah. to injuries, overuse injuries. And then you're like, right, okay, so what does it actually mean? So you can look after the other areas, strength, the mobility, the nutrition, the, the meditation, the, uh, the massage, yeah. physiotherapy, and that makes you a better runner. And, and, and also you become like um, a student of your sport. So you start to, uh, to, to sort of read a lot on what's possible. And 
I was I probably came to the game too late in order to be a, a really good, a really top class marathon runner. And whenever I would do too much speed work, I'd all, I always end up sort of too sore for too long and like too injury yeah. prone. So I thought, you know, the world record for the 100K uh, at the time was 613. Um, I was doing these 50Ks and people would compare. So often the winner of that race in Granada would be a 100K like national champion from somewhere, yeah? So and yeah. I would always talk to them after the race and they'd say those two are, are pretty similar, but it's probably more difficult to run 50K uphill. So I was like, okay, no worries. And I looked at the British record and that's p- possible. Um and then I was like, right, okay, 50K and 100K would be my distances. But then you sort of do what's available to you in the area. If we were living in yeah. sort of Manchester or Nottingham still, you at the weekend, you've got the choice of 30 different races. Uh, it's a really well set up club system. Whereas in Spain, there's like a race every two weekends. So yeah. whatever that race was, I would go and do it. So that, so that might be 55K trail race or an 85K trail race or something. But I would just go and do it and see how I do and, and try and train specifically for a number of weeks. Therefore, the longer it goes, the better I am. Like the more, the more, the less it's to do with skill and the more it's to do with stubbornness, the better I am. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you just get to that point where for me, it's a bit like rugby and probably Australian rules football. It's like you kill each other yeah. on the field. And you kill each other in a race, but afterwards you shake hands and you you, you won't have more respect yeah, yeah. for people. Um, like yeah. the ashes, right? It's like it's just unbelievable, like sport, like for that yeah. for that reason. Yeah. So um, yeah, does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. And then how? And then you did that hundred hundred kilometer run with the GB side, and then what? That was in hmm. six hours six hours forty two, wasn't it? That you did that in what? What, what is the the GB record? Yeah, so, so 2017, we had the British Championships and you sort of get selected for England based on what you've done. So that was pretty cool. And and that's that was my first best, I think. And then, um, so you go to this place and it's it's not like, um, yeah, it's, it's not super professional as it would be like representing Australia at cricket. It's like, it's quite like, these guys are volunteers from their local clubs and the coaches. And so... Yeah. And a lot of them have done ultra racing, but it's it, it's quite it, it's quite basic, yeah. And so I, I remember it was actually we were actually at this caravan site, yeah. We weren't staying in a hotel or anything like that. It was that caravan site, and I thought the whole thing was hilarious. And um, and they said to me, we had this meeting, which was it was like a briefing the day before in the in the caravan. So there's like six selectors around and coaches, managers, and they said, um, "What time are you going for?" And I was like, "It's six forty. Which is a which is a thousand minutes. Uh, sorry, which is four hundred minutes. Which is um, four minutes per kilometer. Yeah? And uh, and they said, oh, it's too, that's too quick. Uh, and I was like, you know, based based on what? Like you you, you literally know nothing about me. Like, ba- what are you basing that on? They said, well, that would be like fifth or sixth fastest time of all time of Brits. And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to run a long way, you. you and, and obviously, I've, I'm not just plucking a figure out of thin air. This has come from training to walk that yeah. time. And they were like, why don't you just take it easier, go 4.10, 4.15, hit the qualifying standard and then represent Britain. And I said, I could tell you I'm going to do that, but then tomorrow I'm not going to do that. So like, <laughs> why can't I just be honest with you? And uh, and so um, so that's what I went and and it's a bit like a marathon. Like you can't um, you can't go off at a certain pace and then change your mind during because it's like if the wheels fall off, the wheels really fall off in 100k. Um, so I went off at four minute pace and I I think in the end it was like 401 per kilometer. Um, it was a bit for 100k. Bit, uh, it was a bit hot. It was a bit. Um, they give it you know really good for me because I was coming from Granada. Yeah? So, um, yeah. so, so yeah, then that, I think that puts me fifth or sixth in the all time list. And then the, the British record is 6.20. So, although 20 minutes seems like a long time and it would be in a marathon, it's like I, I should have on that day really gone for 350 per kilometer, which would have been like 100 times 10 seconds, whatever that is. Yeah. So, a thousand seconds. What is that? Like nine, nine minutes? Nine, nine minutes. Yep. Uh, yeah, something like that. 10, 10 minutes 40, maybe? Don't know. Wow. Over 100K, you did four-minute kilometers, mate. That is 
unbelievable. That is ridiculous. Yeah, it seems nuts. But then if you compare it to sitting at a laptop for 12 hours, like a walk back. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, one thing, one thing that really does um, make me curious about people like you, like ultra marathon runners and, and that sort of stuff, is the mindset that you have. I, I was lucky enough this year to see my father, my dad, um, sort of founded a, a hundred kilometer, not a race. It was it's just for mental health charity lifeline, um, and I got to see for firsthand. They started at four o'clock, hundred kilometers, sort of walk jog, and they did it in like eighteen hours or something. But Seeing the anguish after the after they finished was unbelievable. How do you get through, like, our pre-seasons here, like for footy and cricket, they're pretty hard. Like, you're training five or six times a week, and I think they're – like, all of us think they're hard, and we're professional athletes, and we do – might train for a couple, two or three hours, and we get smashed, and I'm, like, mm. recovering all day, and we're buggered. How do you literally run for – that long and how many how many how do you train your mind to become so resilient in adversity to go like i'm buggered here on 50k and i've still got another 50k to go yeah uh yeah i mean for, i don't know i suppose initially it takes a certain mindset to get into it so somebody who's like comfortable in their own thoughts somebody who's usually quite introverted and um and you're able to you know i meditate in the morning but it's more okay what am I grateful for? And there's obviously a lot we can reflect on right now. And, you know, I hate, yeah. you know, a roof over my head, water and the basic things like I'm not injured. But then also like, as I said before, what do you really want? And and so when you're in a race, you're able to draw back on all that stuff you've been thinking about. But then yeah. during a race, it's, there's an Oasis lyric, which is like uh, from Supersonic. You into Oasis? Yeah, yeah, I love them. Supersonic's yeah. like, uh, you can have it all, but how much do you want it? And how much do you want it is yeah. like, it, it's the same in any sport, yeah? You know, I can't imagine going into a cage to fight somebody in the UFC. Yeah. That would be like, what's going on there? Like, you know, imagine <laughs> if you had an out-of-body experience and you were a UFC yeah. fighter and a whole hey, facing you wanting to rip your head off. Like, that would be... Yeah. But then... um it's essentially a fight. It's like that. It's like if you want, if you might not necessarily be the most skilled guy, but that's the great thing about ultra running. You 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 can win through if you want it more than the other person. Um, and I think you see that in all sports. You know that's why uh, that's why football is so interesting in the Premier League because although you have the top sort of three four teams, you also have teams that just come up from uh, the, the next division and, and they just want it more, you know, and that's why you see mm. so much success sometimes from a team that's just come up because um, they're strong as a unit. They really are a, a team. There's not that diva mentality that you might find at Man United or Liverpool or <laughs> more um, like smooth these days. But you know what I mean? If you've got uh, like uh, yeah. six players in a team that are earning 200 grand a week, how do you manage yeah. that, you know? Um, but we saw... The documentary, you probably watched The Last Dance, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So you, incredible. You saw that guy, he's just like, Phil Jackson has got five players and he's just able to like completely control the team because um, mm. they totally respect him and he's even bringing in like completely, would have been completely new techniques like Buddhist mentality, meditation and stuff. Yeah. Where you would think like, if you show Michael Jordan that, he just wants to play ball all the time. Like he's going to, yeah. what is this? Like, but um it's um yeah i think i find the mind game really interesting and when you get to the start of any race you look around you and people are really nervous yeah um and it it, it doesn't matter whether they're going for like a two-hour five marathon or a six-hour marathon they're just anxious will i will i finish will i get injured yeah. will i and for me it's like if the training's gone well Again, it's probably because I came back to the sport late and I have an appreciation that I'm able to do what I want to do every day. Then if I if the training's gone well and I don't have any niggles or injuries, that's like party day. That is literally like a celebration of everything that I've just done over the last three months. And if you look at it more like that and um, your motivation is intrinsic for the love of the sport rather than got to win because I need a paycheck, that's such a stronger motivation. Um, mm. and, uh, they probably have like, um, sports psychologists in cricket and football that actually tell you that, and, yep. you know, you know, it's, um, 
Yes, but it's a big, it's such a big deal because obviously the mind controls everything. But in athletics, it's mm. sort of underlooked, I think, or overlooked. Sorry, yeah, 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 for sure. Because you need it, don't you? Like it's, it's a grueling um, sport. Like it's, it's unbelievable. How how much importance do you put on mindset? And because you've travelled to so many countries and like done walks of the Himalayas, I, I could imagine you would have met some amazing mm. people, leaders. Um, mm. Has has your mindset changed over the years and what importance do you put on it? How do you actually sort of be be, be mindfulness, be mindful? Yeah. Yeah, I think I I think it's everything, mate. I think it's like um yeah. I think um, you know, the more I the more you travel, the the more appreciation you have from from, from where you came from. Um and growing up, like in my town, there was like three cricket clubs in a tiny town of 30,000 people. Um, that sounds like England. Yeah. And um, and then you've got like, there's a football club for every age you're at. So there's loads of football. And then there's two sports schools, like a primary school and a secondary school. So really difficult to go off the rails. But also in Manchester, really easy to go off the rails. Like the party scene in Manchester in the 90s was absolutely off the rails. So, um, yeah. so but if you're in, in, a, in, a, in a sports world, and you've got summer taken care of with cricket and football taking in, taking the winter over, then um, you just you, you can take that for granted if you never go anywhere else. But even if I just jump on a plane for two hours and get to Spain where I live now, like um, you realise that that's that's not the norm, yeah. And you were really mm. fortunate enough to be to to literally have a cricket club five hundred meters away, a football club five hundred meters away. A running club two miles away, um, and, and those things you shouldn't take for granted. Uh, you should take some time, like um, to to sort of travel. And you know, when you go to sort of Himalayan villages, like I remember this. I, there's all sorts of stuff from the Himalayas, but I remember these people that they could have an education, but they needed to walk down three thousand steps, and not like. It's not like a beautiful staircase. It's like rocks and stuff like that. And then up or across a bridge at the bottom and then up 3,000 steps. And the journey would be two hours, yeah, um, to get to school. And then they would come back to come back home, yeah? So two hours there, two hours back. So literally, um, you know, that would be 20, 20 hour a week for five days at school um, in order to just get to school, in order to get their education. So... You know, the strongest people I've ever met are in the Himalaya, like Sherpas and and, and the Gurkhas that are famous uh, in the British military. Yeah. And even porters that are carrying, like, you know, tourist backpacks. Like, I've never seen... Crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. And I've never seen calves and leg leg muscles like it. It's just the best <laughs> physique I've ever seen. Um, I remember, like... Yeah. Um, I remember seeing these old ladies because often if it's light stuff for them, they'll they'll say, okay, the girls can take care of this. So I was like, oh, I saw these pretty old women, probably like 50 years old, 50, 60. And, um, and they were carrying these logs uh, to this SUV van that was going to take them away somewhere. And I was like, oh, you know, I've got nothing better to do for the next couple of hours. I'll help them. And, um, and they started laughing at me. I was like, they're laughing at me. I'm just going to help you. And uh, I went to pick up one of these logs. It was like, Jesus Christ, it must have been like, 40 kilograms, but a weird shape, yeah? yeah. Like, Makes it so much harder. Yeah, I'm going to break my back here. But these people were <laughs> skilled at putting it on their back and then carrying it. And uh, it's like, these are old women in flip-flops and just got in suit, embarrassed. Let's, let's get away quickly and stop the embarrassment. <laughs> but that's it. Jeez, mate. Yeah, that's <laughs> mental, isn't it? It just shows you that, doesn't it, about, about gratitude and stuff. And that in countries like... Uh, the UK and Australia that um, we're always searching for that next thing like you said before we're always searching for that next car or that next house or how do we impress people instead of just going you know what like them Sherpas have to carry 40 kilos on their back but mm. we're sitting here we wake up in the morning we've got the sun we've got a roof over our head like it mm. and it, it changes your mindset doesn't it it changes the way that you see things and that you almost straight away you're like oh i've got these things i'm i'm incredible incredibly grateful and happy with them yeah absolutely yeah and and, and now as well like one thing that i've added in and probably your dad has as well is what is walking and hiking and being in the nature because um yeah. as an ultra runner or as a marathon runner we we often overlook that and if you really think about it if you want food it's an app 
yeah you go to an app and you get food yeah if you want a taxi or an uber you just got app right so anything you really want you shop my shopping comes um via an app and uh and so i was thinking that how much you know all these small muscles in the lower leg how much development are they getting outside me going for long bike rides and running um and the answer to that was no so in december i started walking and the benefit that i felt is unbelievable and it's again it's just that that culture of convenience we see as progress but in actual fact we're not we're not doing the stuff that we really uh, we really should be doing. And like when you connect with nature, your whole life is yeah. it's a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great, mate. Um, what, what what's next for you? What's next for Lee Grantham? Are we going to see him doing more events, more hundred k runs, or are you going to ever do one of them them monster trails where they do it over days and days, or or have you just set yourself? You just want to stick to the fifty hundreds, or what? What's next for you? So, yeah, a mate of mine now has got the British record for the 50K. Uh, guy from Dan Nash has got like two, 248. Um, there's a tread, there's treadmill 50K world record is 256. It's pretty, it's pretty easy. Um, and then the 100K world record is held by the Japanese. The Japanese are brilliant at running. And that's, yeah. And that's, all, uh, is that all of a sudden or what? It's what, sorry? Is that all of a sudden that the Japanese have become extremely good runners? No, or? I mean, it's a really good point. It's like uh, my, the mindset of the Japanese runners. But what's happened in Japan is they're caught, like, I would say this, uh, like, in, in in the UK, if you want to do business, you go you go yeah. and play golf, yeah? And you sort your mm. earnings. It's like 90% golf, 10% business afterwards, yeah? <laughs> Whereas in Japan, the corporate system is full of runners, they actually recruit runners to run in their relay team. And it's a show of strength to have a really strong relay team. So it's basically professional. There's so many professional runners in Japan because they work that way. So um, so the product of that has been like really good marathon runners. But when it gets to the long stuff, they're just superb, really, really superb. Really? I was at Comrades Marathon, which is the biggest marathon, ultra marathon in the world last year in South Africa. And uh, yeah, I've seen that. the Japanese guy was third. And, and that's like not knowing the course, which is really useful if you know the course and is mountainous and, uh, or hilly, it's hilly. And then, um, and he, he came third. So that's a guy who could win it definitely in the future. But I want to set, I want to set the, the world record in the hundred K. I think, you know, the British record attainable yeah. at 620. You just need to have a good day for that. Um, but then for the world record, it's just 10 minutes faster. So, so it's like, yeah. 600 seconds so you just need to go a little bit faster but um don't get me wrong it takes there's a few things that have to yep. go right in order to for the planets to align and to get that right but then after then i would love to do these trail races in america where you've got like western state yeah. leadville hard rock there's a few that are, i like I, I prefer it rather than technical trail where you're sort of like going up and down sticks etc prefer it to be runnable so for me western states is a, a great race to do Hundred mile race, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, with with that run that I saw, that hundred k run with these amateur amateur um, runners, and they ran walk it. They put so much emphasis on the nutrition, and that was something that uh, keeping up their salts. And some of them were quite serious runners and mm-hmm. um, enjoyed it. How, how do you go about you? I saw some of that. Are, are you vegan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So, how, how long for? Hold on, somebody, somebody asked me this recently, and uh, apparently, I'm not vegan because I, I, if I go for a pizza, I have cheese in my pizza, and apparently, so I can't be in the vegan club. <laughs> this was a, yeah, I mean, this is I'm in Chiang Mai. There's 300 vegan restaurants, so you meet loads yeah. of vegans, and uh, it's a bit of a problem with vegans because they, you know, they they think they're superior a lot of the time, but um, not, not a tongue in cheek there, but some of them do, and. Uh, and so when you meet these vegans, they've got like go vegan and, you know, and yeah. it's pretty funny. They're definitely doing a good thing for the planet, but probably the main problem where there's not more vegans is because of vegans because they, they're so like military, <laughs> you think. but I was speaking on this vegan podcast and they, and they said, oh, you're not like 100% vegan because of cheese. I just have, you know, every two weeks go out for a pizza and have cheese on, on a margarita pizza. I mean, can't yeah. join the club, so... Oh well, uh, so so yeah, I would say ninety nine percent vegan. <laughs> you can't give away that mozzarella cheese yet, can you? <laughs> how, how how long have you, been, have you been vegan for? And is that something that you've you've really seen a little bit of a 
of an increase because you saw I'm sure you would have seen the game changes wherever like everyone did at it it was hilarious mate at, at the footy club um, so you got all these professional athletes saw that documentary and 10 of the boys went vegan um, and the nutritionist had to say no 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 some of that documentary isn't correct but you're a living example has that has it helped you uh, I mean this was sort of the my point on that document uh, on that podcast and also I've seen that documentary I've seen some others and and then there was the Joe Rogan podcast that sort of we had this guy on that uh, debunked some of the myths that would and then he had another guy on that debunked some of his myths who said no actually it is true because I think the, the the main problem in becoming vegan is people don't appreciate how much the volume of food you need to eat in order to get the same calories so you can do it wrong because you you actually have to eat a lot because you're eating like low calorie foods a lot of the time. So, firstly, this was probably 2015, 2016. I think 2016. So it's been four years. So I'd say it was a pretty decent sample time. And the reason I went vegan, I was, I, you know, I'd been in Chiang Mai a couple of years and I saw all these vegans and I was cycling with a lot of vegans who were really good and. And then I, I met this young kid, like 21-year-old he was at the time, this Norwegian guy. And he never said anything about – because usually you get into these groups and they all they want to talk about is food. And you're like, anything else? Like, um, But then um, this, he never said a word about veganism. And I, and I asked him once we were on a ride together, why did you go vegan? And he said, um, for the, you know, I think animals have just the same amount of right to live as we do. And – I was like, well, yeah, I grew, grew up with animals, you know, on a farm. And, and um, I, I think that's true. And, um, and so I thought I'll try it. You know, it's, it's um, often when you get food poisoning in Asia, it's, it is to do with the meat. Like, um, yeah. so, it's, so you very rarely get food poisoning from fruit and vegetables and rice and oats and stuff like that. So I, I, so I tried it. And, um, and I, I, think, I think I did it right because I was getting enough calories. But, um, but then... I noticed that pretty much instantly the uh, the recovery benefits. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So so I was recovering a lot, and and when you when you're training this amount of hours, like my, a typical week for me is twenty five hours, and then like four or five gym sessions. So you know you're really in tune with your body, and um, for me, I just I just noticed that I was recovering so much quicker. So the the thing about training running or cycling is the more high intensity sessions you can do the faster you recover the more high intensity sessions you can do the more you can move forward the more you can improve so i i would notice that really really quickly like muscle soreness was going away much faster and and also my energy systems once you get it right the energy systems was a lot more consistent and my sleep was better um and we both really yeah we both know from from um from a recovery from a recovery point of view sleep is is everything yeah so mm. you know i'm with a cbd company and um i would say my diet has a huge impact on my sleep yeah and i drink loads of water as well which is another really yeah. key point but yeah i mean like honestly um i joke with them because they're, they're pretty funny they're pretty easy people to wind up generalizing <laughs> yeah but they're doing a good thing i just think um yeah. I say they as if like it's some kind of like different planet people, but (laughs) what I mean is like um, you've got like the the guys who are like you're either with us or you're not with us, and then you've got like it's like every minority there's going to be some loud people that are saying the wrong things, but um, they're doing the right thing. I just think they should sort of like even they'll sort of look down at vegetarians, and and my point on this podcast that I was doing was. they're on your side. They're like 90% on your side. Like probably yeah. having a dialogue with them and sort of telling them about what you found. Cause dairy was a huge thing that once I cut it out, um, that was the, that was the dairy and inflammation are, are correlated. So once I cut dairy out, cause I was drinking a lot of milk and like protein, protein shakes and stuff like that. And I was having whey protein. So I just switched my yeah. whey protein to brown rice protein uh, or pea protein and uh, and switch milk to almond milk and uh, you know I love oh, coffee yeah. in the morning but so I thought that would be yeah. an issue but you know it's it's like almond milk's pretty much the same taste now so as uh, yeah we have oat milk oat milk's actually really nice you like it, yeah 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 beautiful yeah like I can't really notice too much of a difference really yeah so I think the thing is if you hmm. do it, you have to do it right and you have to be informed because hmm. it 
Because I think if you do something and it's like, oh, I just got injured and you associate that injury with your diet, then of course you're going to retract and um, and you might have, you know, you might think the diagnosis. It's a bit like, I don't know where you had, had this in cricket where it's like, okay, a supplement company will come to you and they'll give you like 25 vitamins and protein powder and protein. Yeah. You take everything, you're like, wow, better. But which one of those? Promise you the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But which one of those has made me better? Um, you know, yeah. uh, so, so if you take, you have to sort of incrementally do things and then figure out for yourself what works. Yeah. yeah. No, mate, it's, it's, it's all interesting points. Um, but mate, I'll, I'll just say um, thank you for, for coming on. For me, it's been, it's been super interesting just listening to some of, some of your life, your journey, um, and then some of your opinions and, and the way you train and where you've got to now. And yeah. it's something that I really do um, enjoy listening to is ultra marathon runners and, and sort of the mind and how it all works. Um, and I'm looking forward to, mate, to, to watching uh, your next venture and your next journeys. And if you haven't seen uh, Lee on Instagram yet, get on there because he's a funny man. So thank you for coming on, mate. I really appreciate it. Cheers, Guy. I really appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can listen to all other episodes at any of the podcast directories, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or you could just go straight to our website at theathletediaries.net. Have a great week, guys, and stay safe.